Hello, everybody. Man, glad to see all you guys. Hey, yeah, glad to see you guys. My name's Jeff. If this is uh, one of your first weeks with us, I'm one of the pastors on staff. I want to say a big hello to all of you that are worshiping with us here in our main auditorium, as well as, right, come on, 1045 people, let me hear you. Yeah. As well as those who are worshiping with us down in the venue. And a big hello to all of our family out in North Platte. You are all sitting in one worship service, but there are four worship services that happen today in three different locations. So you might look around you and go, wow, there's some seats, you know, open. That's on purpose. Uh, we, we will always have seats that are open because we are a church that we have not stopped growing. We're a church that wants to continue to make space for more people to grow. And so anyways, that might, that might be out in North Platte or even in the venue. I know we're getting packed out in North Platte. We've got some big Sundays out there. So I have no idea what it's going to look like right now. Um, but listen, I don't know how many of you guys attended, but on Friday night, we had an incredible event where we met in Lexington in between North Platte and Kearney. We had what we called New Life United. Was there anybody at New Life United? Let me hear you. Very good, very good. At New Life United, we, uh, we had a time of worship. It was incredible, right? It was a time just really passionate. Um, it was just awesome. There's about 300 plus that gathered at North Platte uh, for this time of worship and this time of prayer and also a time of water baptism. We had, over tw- we had 22 people actually that were baptized in water on Friday making a statement. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Making a statement, my life belongs to Jesus. My life's not my own. I'm choosing to follow him with everything. Ten of those folks were from North Platte. Twelve of them were from Kearney. Um, so listen, there's no competition there. Um, actually, there, there is somewhat. And kind of like sub-levels, you know, like, man, all right, we're doing it. Uh, but listen, we, we also, after the service... We had a time where the snack shack was open and all the greasy foods that are healthy to eat, you know, late at night were there. All the comfort food and, you know, we had the gym that was open. We had the go-karts that were open. It was just a great time. Um, in, in the gym, we had what, we, what we've now started as our second annual, right, our second annual dodgeball tournament. Let me just tell you how the tournament works. Uh, we, have, we have really four services. So each service had to make a team. The 9 o'clock made a team. The 1045 people made a team right here in the main. We had the, the venue made a team and uh, North Platte made a team. And so he, here's kind of how the breakdown went, right? Uh, the, first, the first team to be eliminated was 1045. Yeah, yeah, you guys that I can see with my physical eyes, you guys got eliminated. One of the reasons is because maybe some of you weren't there to make them great. So the next time that we have New Life United at Lex and we do dodgeball, show up and make the team great. You guys don't want to come in last again, right? And so it got down to the two teams competing for first place, North Platte, right, versus the venue. North Platte versus the venue. And it was a heated battle, right? And the battle goes on, the battle goes on, and the team that came in second place was North Platte. Come on, give it up for them. Way to go, North Platte. And North Platte, we are with you. We stand with you in, in United Together because uh, I've got a sneaky feeling that the, that the people down in the venue, which, you know, they, they actually have a nickname for themselves called the Gym Rats. Um, 
I got this sneaky feeling that every time it comes to the preaching time, that they put all the chairs away and they've been practicing dodgeball the entire year. I got this sneaky feeling that you guys have been practicing dodgeball down there. I'm coming down today to check on you. So uh, anyways, no, they won fair and square. I give it up to them. Way to go, guys. They actually got the trophy with the dodgeball on it. They get to keep the trophy all year until we have the next New Life United where we have the dodgeball tournament. So all of that said, for you that are here in the 1045 who came in last place, um, listen, it's okay. We're going to start dodgeball practice next Thursday. Uh, we come out, we're going to start teaching you how to play dodgeball. I don't want you guys to be in last place anymore, okay? I'm just joking about that. I think everyone knows how to play. You throw a ball, hit the other person, or you're out. Okay, so New Life United was a blast. It was awesome. We really are a church that's better together. We are. You, you sit in one service right now, you know, of, of four. You sit in one location of three. Guys, we are better together, and I love, you know, mixing with the larger church called New Life that's all on the same page right now, hearing the same sermon, worshiping together. It's an, it's an incredible journey that God has our church on, um, and I love this church, meaning I love the people that God's brought to New Life, and I would just say to you this, there's plenty of room for more to come, um, and so please, invite your friends, bring them, help, let your friends experience, you know, Christ. Uh, let your friends experience a life transformed, you know, by Christ. Let that happen for you and for your friends. And let's just continue to grow God's kingdom as we, in, as we just try to grow his church here today. So we're going to jump into this teaching series that we're in called Ignition. And I just kind of want to maybe start by asking you, have you ever had a car that the ignition system broke down on you and it left you stranded someplace? Oh yeah, I see some heads some heads are shaking. There's some people that are going, yep, I'm with you. Yeah, I know, because it's happened to all of us. I mean, Kim and I, uh, our family, we raised four children. They're all adults now, and they're out raising their own kids now. And so we've had a lot of cars pass through our hands. And there's been some bad moments of, you know, cars and the ignition systems not working. Part of the ignition system is obviously, uh, you know, you've got the battery, um, you've got spark plugs, you've got an alternator and a starter and, a, you know, a number of other things. Um, and one of those things breaks and the car just doesn't want to start and then you're stuck along the side of the road. So have you guys ever gone to start your car and you hear this sound? Click, 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 click. Isn't that just put a smile on your face? Don't you just sit there and just say, praise God. Probably not, yeah, yeah. And some of you right now are going, yes, God, I repent for what I did say when it went click, click, click. I got it, I understand. But here, the deal is that nobody wants to be that, 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 in that car, stuck on the side of the road or stuck in a parking lot. Nobody wants to be that, that car. Just like God doesn't want any Christian to have a failed spiritual ignition. God doesn't want that either for you. God doesn't want your life to be like a life stuck on the side of a road or you know, stuck in a parking lot of life, just stuck there and not going anywhere. That's not God's plan for you. God, God has an ignition source called his spirit that he wants to use in your life to take you on a journey that's exciting. He doesn't want you to get stuck and stagnate and plateau in your spiritual life. He wants your life to be full, full of life, full of his spirit. He wants your life to be full of experiences where you're going, man, God, I encountered you here. I encountered you there. How many of you guys have had a car that you just said, you know what? This is a good running around the town car, but I would never take this car out of town because I can't trust it. Anybody had one of those? 
If you've never had one of those, count yourself blessed. All right? Kim and I have had one of those kind of cars. You know, where you're just like, this is a car for driving around town, but let's not go on any kind of journey with it because it may not get us back. What you need to know about God today is this. You can go on a journey with God because you can trust God. The fuel of God is never going to run out. The ignition source of God is never going to run out. You can trust God and you can go on a long journey with him because he's not going to let you down. You can go on an extreme journey with God. He's not going to let you down. You're never going to wake up someday and your spiritual life's going to be dead. Click, 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 click. If you trust him and you put your whole life in his, in his hands and you start running after him with everything you have, oh, there might feel like there are desert moments, moments when, wow, is this, is this really going to happen? Is my spiritual life really going to start? But I'm telling you, God will not let you down. His ignition source can be trusted, his spirit. And today, as we get into this sermon, we're going to be looking at the life of Moses Moses can identify with this ignition concept. Um, we're going to be looking at Moses uh, in, in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 primarily as we look at the burning bush experience. But let's back up from there just a little bit. All right, Moses is in the Old Testament. Moses is one of the great spiritual leaders. Many people know about Moses. People that don't even go to church know and have heard about Moses. Many of them, not all. If you're here today and you've never heard about Moses, you need to go back into the Old Testament especially. If you want a synopsis of Moses, you can look at Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, you've got, you've got some synopsis of Moses that's there. And so um, you guys can uh, you know, kind of look at that and maybe that will help you out a little bit. Um, but Moses, he finds himself like a car stuck in a parking lot. The journey for Moses starts with a baby in a basket stuck in the reeds on the edge of a river. There's, there Moses is. His mom had put him there. His mom was not going to be able to raise him. Um, in fact, at that time, there was you know, a lot of slaughtering of children, and she wanted Moses to live, and so she put Moses in a place that you know, high-ranking Egyptian um, leaders would come you know, to bathe and to you know, get water, and she put Moses strategically there and kept an eye on him. But Moses is stuck in the parking lot, if you will, without any kind of ignition. He's got, he has no way to defend himself. He has no way to take control of the situation. He's stuck. And along comes God's answer. And Moses is raised in a high-ranking you know, Egyptian home. Moses is given a great education. Moses is you know, given a lot of authority. Moses is given you know, the best of the best. Moses is esteemed. Um, Moses becomes a young man. Moses realizes that, you know, I'm not an Egyptian. I'm actually one of the slaves for the Egyptians. He recognizes that. He comes to an understanding of that. He, he knows that, you know, the Israelites, you know, or, or probably somewhere around two million of them are in captivity in Egypt that are being used as slaves by the Egyptians. And Moses realizes I'm one of them. Somehow I was raised by this Egyptian family. I was given a life that maybe I never should have had. And he looks around and he sees all of this, you know, behavior that's happening that is uh, detrimental to his people. And he sees how the guards are treating them you know, like, like guards would treat a slave. And Moses lashes out and he kills one of the guards. Thinking that he's okay, 
thinking that he's covered it up all right and that you know his smarts, his education, his power, his position of authority is going to cover it all up, only to find out the next day that that wasn't the case. Every, you know, the word starting to spread, people know that it was Moses. Moses now fearing his own life, he flees Egypt. He flees all of the, the greatness that he has and that he's in line for. He flees it and he runs into the desert. And in the desert, he ends up you know, spending 40 years in the desert, going from a person of you know, great education and high aptitude down to a person that's doing just lowly, you know, menial-type jobs in the desert. In the desert for 40 years until at the end of that 40 years, we read in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses comes face-to-face with the all-powerful, mighty God in the burning bush experience. Where he's out there and this bush is on fire and he he can't take his eyes off of it. And when he meets with God at this burning bush, God says to him, Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Take off your sandals. And Moses obeys God and Moses has this really long conversation with God. Unlike last week where we looked at Philip and how God used Philip in the book of Acts and how God spoke very succinctly and how God spoke just a few words to Philip, not the case with Moses. Moses experiences a very long dialogue that takes place where there is interaction. There's a conversation that actually happens between Moses and God. Yeah, a conversation where Moses doesn't even agree with everything that God's saying. But in the end, God uses Moses and uses him for something great, to go and deliver the people of Israel out, the Jewish people, out of the bondage and the slavery that they were in to the Egyptians. But something happens at the burning bush moment. At the burning bush moment, all of Moses, his being, his, his, his mentality, his heart, his spiritual man, it's transformed in a moment of ignition. An ignition takes place where God's spirit encounters Moses and Moses is never the same again. Moses goes from this, hum, this individual that is walking around in the desert that is you know, taking care of sheep and he goes and becomes this incredible, powerful leader that we still admonish and honor to this very day. There's some things that Moses experienced that I believe we could apply to our life today that will position us at a burning bush moment. You're like, seriously, Jeff? Like, today I'm going to go home after this church service and I'm going to go out in my yard and do a little work and a bush is going to be on fire? Is that what you're saying? I, I hope not. Um, if that happens, call 911, please. All right, I want it to spread to your house. Because God's spirit is what, is what met with Moses. I got good news for you today. You, you are you are potentially at the right moment to have a burning bush experience with God today because God's spirit lives now in you. You don't have to go find some external burning bush. That spirit, the spirit of God that was burning that bush, lives in you today. So are you coming face to face with God today? Yes. If you do, could it be a burning bush moment that literally transforms you forever? Yes, it can. What did Moses experience, though, that transformed him forever? And maybe what principles could we apply to our life? The first one was this. Moses was humbled. Now, notice there's a big difference between Moses was humble and Moses was humbled. All right? A lot of people like to say, I'm the most humble person I know. They like to say that. That's an indicator that they're not. Okay? 
But nobody, nobody likes to be humbled, right? Big difference between I'm humble versus I've been humbled. <laughs> a little pain involved with the I've been humbled. That's what Moses experienced. And in a verse that maybe you would just look over and read over very quickly, very significant for us, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, says that one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, uh, priest of Midian, he led the flock far into the wilderness, far deep into the desert, and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, you might look at a verse like this and go, wow, it just kind of creates the context for us. But really what it's showing us is the humbledness that's happening in Moses' heart, and God is the one who's directing it. Remember, Moses was raised in an Egyptian home. Moses was given the best education of his time because Moses lived in the greatest civilization of his time with some of the greatest discoveries of their time. That's what Moses was being groomed in and trained in. Moses would have been a well-respected man, even among the Egyptians. But despite all of that education, despite all of that respect, despite all of that power, Moses was not ready to do any great thing for God while he lived in Egypt. He wasn't ready for it. Moses, he had all the arrogance, right, and all the pride of a, of a young man that was carrying this around, like he knew all the answers, like he knew the solution. That's what caused him to lash out and kill, you know, kill the, 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 the guard. Like, I know the answer to this. I know what to do, and it's, it's harsh. I got it. But Moses was completely wrong with that. See, God chooses to use people that have come to a place of being humbled enough that they can say, you know what, I can do nothing great unless God uses me. In fact, God will take his plan for your life and put it on pause, waiting for you to get your heart ready for him. I think one of the reasons why in the Bible that God says about heaven that he wipes away tears I believe one of those reasons why God has to wipe away tears in heaven could literally be when he shows us the significance that our life could have been that we literally said no to because of our unwillingness to be humbled. And then we look and we see how incredible our life could have been. God wipes the tear away and he goes, let's hit reset, let's keep going. God will wait He'll wait for our heart to line up with him. Moses, Moses, he fell from a super high place to a super low place. Moses found himself, like Exodus 3, 1, he found himself tending the sheep. He goes from this incredible, you know, man down to a man that's just doing menial tasks. Things that nobody else wants to do. Out on the backside of a desert, Moses finds himself doing menial tasks tasks see when we're at a place like that i mean you you can you could be mad you could be torqued you could be upset that i have all this potential i'm just doing these menial tasks or maybe it's that god's trying to erode arrogance and erode pride and it took moses 40 years i'll tell you this i don't want that to take 40 years in my life this past week i made a decision at our church and, uh, you know, with our staff, and I made a decision, and I thought to myself, like, this is a great decision, right? I could see no flaws in the decision. And this, is, this might actually be one of the better decisions that we've ever made in the entire history of our church, facetiously, all right? You, you journey, journey with me on this, all right? Show me a little grace on this one. Um, 
And I'm thinking to myself, this is a great decision. This is going to be awesome. I can't wait for you know, the, the rest of my directional team to hear this. They're, they're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. We're going to keep moving forward. And they sit down with me at the table, and they proceed to let me know how bad of an idea it really was. Yeah. It was a, I was being humbled. I was sensing that inside of me. Right? I sensed the wall go up. The defense wall, right? Because whenever humility comes your way, aren't we always just like, oh man, praise God, I'm so glad I'm being humbled right now. So glad I'm being told, you know, that I don't have all the answers. Oh, it feels so good. Whoa, man. This is great, guys. Give me more. Give me more. No, you put up your defense walls just like I did, and you battle with that for a while, and then you have to kind of push the wall down a little bit. Because I'm telling you, when God's trying to humble you like God did for me this past week, you've got to get on top of that wall called humility, and sometimes you've got, you have to push it back down so that you can see clearly. And my team, were, well, they were able to see the blind spots in my decision-making, and they were, they were willing to tell me. And you know what I did after I got past my defenses and after I got to this point where I could literally push the wall down, which I'm going to tell you guys, it doesn't happen in minutes sometimes. Sometimes it happens in hours. Sometimes it takes days. But you push that wall back down and guess what you experience? You experience joy and you experience thankfulness. And you look at your team around you that God's given you and you can literally say, God, praise, I praise you for them because I'm a better person they can see my blind spot. I couldn't see it. But sometimes you've got to fight and you have to push that wall down. So today, my challenge for you in this and being humbled is this. Don't, don't despise those desert moments. Moses was in the desert. I had a desert moment. Don't despise the desert moments. God's trying to bring them to you to, uh, to adjust and correct your character so that you're ready to be used by him and be ignited by him for something incredible and something great. Don't despise the desert moments. Here's some desert moments, right? When life isn't going the way that you planned and you told everybody, this is the plan, this is where we're going, and the plan's not working out. That's a desert moment. You got to get up on the wall, get up on the wall of pride and arrogance, push it back down, let your heart be humbled at a moment like that. You could be getting lined up for an ignition moment, a burning bush moment where the Spirit of God reveals Himself to you in a fresh new way. Maybe one of them could be this you know, like you made a promise to some people, and the promise isn't being fulfilled and working out the way you, you said it would. And now you got your name on the line, you might have finances on the line, you might have a lot on the line, and the promise isn't working out. What are you going to do? you going to stand there with your arrogance and your pride? No. Get up on the wall of arrogance and pride. Push it back down. You're going to have to be a part of that. Push that thing back down and let your heart be humbled. When you let your heart be humbled in that way, you're lining yourself up to see God do something great. Get beyond our pride. Get beyond our weaknesses. It's okay. People are going to see those things. In fact, here's the deal. My directional team that works with me, they already knew some of my weaknesses. You don't hide your weaknesses from everybody. They know them by grace. They don't tell you about them sometimes. But then when they do, it's a moment. It's a moment to grow, and it's a moment to position yourself where God wants you to be. If Moses isn't humbled in the desert for 40 years, then he doesn't have the faith to trust God for the plagues that are going to come for the Egyptians that are going to release the two million Israelites into freedom. Yeah, that's, the, that's how powerful it is. 
See, what happens is this. When pride and arrogance are allowed, that wall is allowed to grow, it crushes faith. But when you push down pride and arrogance in that wall and you allow yourself to be humbled, then there's something else that can grow. The column, the pillar of faith can grow. Which one do you want? You want faith to grow in your life or do you want pride and arrogance? Because you don't get both. You push down one to get the other. Or you push down faith to get pride and arrogance. I'm suggesting to you today, if you want to experience the ignition of God through the power of his Holy Spirit in your life, push that wall down, push arrogance down and pride. Be humbled and let faith grow. That's where we position ourselves to see God do incredible things in us and through us. Those moments of ignition. But here's something else that Moses you know, was was really good at at this moment, though. Moses was intrigued. Take a look at what verse 3 has to say. It says, this, Moses goes, this is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. He gets his eyes focused on this bush. He can't get his eyes off of it, right? Moses is in awe of this bush, like you would be as well. He's curious about it. You know, he's fascinated with it. Moses is so intrigued with this burning of this bush. And this is exactly the way God wants us to be with him. God wants us to be in awe of him. God wants us to be curious and fascinated about him. God wants us to do that. It was the intrigue. The intrigue caused Moses to focus in Focus all of his attention in on God. All of it. I guarantee you, this is what happened for Moses. He forgets he's standing in a desert because his intrigue has got, his, he's got himself tunnel-focused in on God. Uh, he doesn't even remember he's in a desert. He doesn't remember that he's not near his home, that he's going to go back to and sleep in his bed, that he's going to have to make a camp in the desert someplace. You know another thing Moses probably just totally forgot about? Which is okay at a moment like this. He totally forgot about those sheep, guarantee you. His whole, uh, his whole attention was on God. He forgot even about his job, and the sheep were like, party time, all right. Let's go make it happen. Bah, 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 bah. You know, they're talking about themselves. All right, forget it. All right. Moses, if he was hungry, he wasn't hungry anymore. If he was thirsty, he wasn't thirsty anymore. If Moses was weary and tired, he wasn't weary and tired anymore either. When you're in awe, when you've got the intrigue, when you're intrigued with God, it's amazing how everything else in this world just kind of drifts away because your full attention is on God. I experience something similar to this every time I go to, you know, do a ton of research on something online. I get so laser focused in that I forget about so many of the things that are going on. I'll spend hours, sometimes I'll waste days researching something online. I'm sure none of you guys are like that, right? Where you keep a little tab open and you just keep exploring and exploring and looking and looking like when you wanted to buy a car and you're searching all the details about it or when you're going on vacation like myself and you're looking at this foreign metropolis city that you've never been to before and you want to know everything about it before you get there so you know how the subway system works and you know how the bus system works and where to go eat and where not to go so you you come back alive and you know all of those other things right and so you research it all and I'll, I'll spend hours and days sometimes I feel guilty about all of the time I've been exploring things for some of you that might be Facebook You know, you're so intrigued with what happens in other people's lives that your family wanted me to tell you today. 
they want you back. All right? They want, they want you back. They were, they, they've been missing you. You've been living in your digital world, and real life has been happening around you. So intrigue, intrigue with something can you know, cause damage because you forget about other things that are important. But intrigue with something can also cause you to grow extremely knowledgeable about, about something. You can grow to understand something in a great way. Many times if I'm going to buy something, when I walk in to buy that significant item, I know more about it than the salesman does. Because I've researched it. My wife oftentimes just kind of basically does a silent prayer for the sales guy. And just goes, God, you know, have mercy on him today. Right? Because I'll just, I'll just overindulge myself in that. What happens when you're intrigued with God then? The knowledge of God grows. The wisdom of God grows in you. The understanding of God grows in you. And at this supernatural moment for Moses, it's like, you know, God reached out and he, he plugs in this HDMI cable right into Moses' heart and he just starts downloading all of this data from the server heart of God right into the heart of Moses. Moses is being overwhelmed, you know, with the presence of God. But Moses is growing in his wisdom and his knowledge and his understanding of God in this one moment that transforms him and changes him forever. So church, we need to be careful. Be careful what you're intrigued with. Be careful what you, what you give your full attention to. Because what you, what you turn your full attention to, you will become. Misguided intrigue leads to death over and over and over again. It starts with just a small amount of intrigue. Well, I wonder what that's all about. And before you know it, it has deteriorated your boundaries. The boundaries that you set for yourself, that you said, I will live inside of these moral boundaries, these biblical boundaries. But when misguided intrigue is allowed to grow, it deteriorates your boundaries, and pretty soon you're doing things, going places, saying things that you never wanted to, and then intrigue eventually controls your entire actions. And then you become the person that you might be there right now, and if you are, God has grace for you. But you become the person that sits in my office and says to me with tears coming down your face, I never intended to do that. I never intended to become that person. That's what happens with intrigue. Misguided intrigue will lead you from just a simple question asking to boundaries disappearing to becoming someone you never wanted to. Let me tell you today, just like God was getting Moses' attention with the burning bush, God's trying to get your attention today. He's trying to get it, and he's trying to do it big time. Right now, inside of some of your hearts, the heart might be thumping. God's trying to get your attention. Right now, a thought might be rolling through your mind. God's trying to get your attention. It could be totally different than what I'm preaching. I know that. I've got that. I'm secure enough in what I do that when you tell me that was a great sermon and I ask you what made it so great, most of the time people come back and they say something I never even said. Because a great sermon causes intrigue inside of the hearts of people that they start listening to whose voice? God's voice, not my voice. God might be stirring something in you right now. He's trying to get your attention, but let me tell you something. The enemy's trying to get your attention as well because he knows if he can get your awe, your curiosity, and your fascination moving in one direction, he might just be able to take you down. And if he takes you down, he might be able to affect others. So today, if your intrigue is somewhere other than a Christ-centered direction, 
My, my advice to you is repent today. Turn and run away from what you've been pursuing. Leave it here. Come to an altar like this. These altars are for hungry people that are going, God, I want to be intrigued with you. I want to be in awe of you. I want to be in fascination of you. And when we move in that direction like Moses did, like, hey, i got to go check this out. I can't do anything else but check out that burning bush. Today, if your heart is, I can't do anything else but pursue God and come and seek him. I want to do that. I sense it inside of me. Then go do it. Make it happen today. Don't let today slip by. Don't let this burning bush moment slip through your fingers and just walk by it as if, oh yeah, it's just a burning bush. Seriously? If Moses, if that would have been the story, every single one of us gets to heaven, we like, slap, slap, slap. Dude, what was it about the burning bush that didn't get your attention? Right? Of course. So if God's trying to get your attention, move towards him. Let the hungry people fill these altars. Lastly, though, Moses, he had to lay down his excuses. I got it. See, when we come to these moments where God's spirit is beating on our heart and he's wanting to increase our passion to do something great, which was what he was doing with Moses. He was increasing his passion. He was having this ignition moment. He's going to send him back to do something amazing, free people that have been in slavery for a long time, free them and lead them out of something that seems impossible. Many times we can have excuses. What we should be doing is practicing what Moses did. Moses, he brought his excuses to God in the sense of a conversation. I got good news for you today. If God beats on your heart and he puts a dream inside of your heart that you, it seems to you like this is impossible, and your brain starts spinning with all these you know, excuses, that does not make you a Christian that lacks faith. That makes you a real person. It's okay to have excuses. It's what you do with those excuses that matter. Moses, he brings every one of his excuses to God. And most of them, he even puts them in the form of a question, which is ideal. He ends with statements that probably aren't so smart. But God has grace and God helps him through it. See, when Moses brought his excuses to God, he was willing to listen for God's response. What gets us in trouble is when we take our excuses and we make them big, bold statements and we're unwilling to listen for God's instruction of how God wants to teach us to move beyond our excuses and to do something great for him. Excuses don't make you a person necessarily of less faith. They make you human, but what you do with it could make you a person of less faith. Moses used excuses like this in Exodus 3, verse 11. When Moses hears about this dream in God's heart of Moses, I'm going to empower you, you're going to go back, and you're going to free these millions of, of uh, you know, your people from the Egyptians, and I'm going to turn you into a great leader, and incredible things are going to happen. First words out of Moses' mouth in verse 11, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Maybe some of you have said to God, God, why me? Why, why me? Right? Why do you want to use me? Why do you want to do something with me, God? I mean, who am I? I'm a nobody. You might feel that way. But to God, you are everything. God created you. He purposed you. He destined you. You are not forgotten about God. The Bible says little simple things like this. Like, God even knows, you know, he knows like even the the hairs on your head. And for some of you, it's much easier to count than others. 
So maybe he just knows you more. I don't know. But he knows the details of you. He, he knows you. He knows you intimately. You might not know him intimately, but he knows you intimately. Who are you? You are someone destined for greatness with God. You are someone destined to do something that influences someone else or a whole group of people. If your life is meant just to influence one person, it's great. Moses' life was designed to influence millions. Awesome. Good for him. We're not all designed for that. But we are all designed with a purpose to do something great for God. So who are you? You are a child of God, created in his likeness and in his image, filled with the burning bush called the Holy Spirit, who God wants to use to do great and mighty things. That's who you are. Moses doesn't stop with that good excuse, though. He goes to the next one in verse 13. He goes, basically, okay, God, all right, I got that one. All right, but suppose that, you know, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, uh, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, okay, what is his name? Prove it, you know? Then, then what shall I tell them, God? Because Moses is using this classic excuse. I don't know enough about you to do anything great. If you've ever felt that way, here, here's the truth to that lie. If God calls you to do something for him, you already have enough to pull it off. You might not think so, but you already have enough to pull it off, or God wouldn't ask you to do it. Why? God doesn't set you up for failure. Now, you might learn some things along the way as you go. That's true. But you have enough. So that kind of excuse you know, has to drain away as well. And God takes quite a while, the rest of chapter three, to really kind of deal with that. Then in chapter four, after, after Moses has heard all that excuse, then Moses says, okay, well, I got a third one. What if, uh, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? Basically, Moses uses the excuse of, what if they think I'm crazy? You ever felt that way? Right, where God wants to use your life and you're like, well, what will other people say? What if people say I'm crazy? Listen to me. Whose opinion and whose voice matters most? The voice of man or the voice of God? The voice of man who can't speak and, and, and turn a star on or the voice of God who speaks and turns stars on? The voice of man who can't speak and start a planet spinning or the voice of God who speaks and a, and a planet starts spinning? Which voice matters more? Whose opinion should you be living for? The opinion of man who might think you're crazy or the opinion of God who says you're amazing? Excuses. We have to get beyond them. We have to lay them down if we want to see great things happen for us. Moses has two more. Let me tell you what they are. In verse 10, oh Lord, I've never been eloquent. Right? Well, how did you even know how to say that word, Moses? Um, neither, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Basically, it's this. I'm not qualified. Don't let excuses like lies like this, like I'm not qualified, keep you from the ignition of God's spirit that wants to turn you into a passionate being to accomplish something great for him. Don't let the lie of the enemy trump the qualification that God's already put on your life. And in the end, Moses goes, okay, well, I've got one more sleeve. I got one more ace up my sleeve. Here it is, God, please, in verse 13. Will you send someone else to do it? Will you send someone else? I wondered to myself, how many missions 
we've missed because we've said to God, please send somebody else. I wonder how many opportunities we've missed of God wanting to ignite us to do something incredible because we've said, please send somebody else. Today, let's not be people that say, God, would you please send someone else? But let's be people that go after God. Ultimately, Moses leaves the burning bush. And what does he do? He goes after God. God transforms him in the, bu- at the bush like God wants to transform you here in this time of worship with us today. No matter whether you're in the venue or in North Platte, God wants to transform you at this burning bush moment. And then he's expecting us to go. Go and make an impact for him. So my challenge for us today is this. Let's go after God so that we can go and make an impact for him. Let's go and hunger after God so that we can go into our community and lead others to Jesus. Let's go after God and not worry about, well, well, what will people think? Or I'm not qualified, or I don't know enough, or who am I? My life's not perfect, how can I go after God? Lay all the excuses down, let's go after God and experience God doing something great. Let's experience a burning bush moment with God's spirit in this place. Because God's got something for you today that you're gonna need that encounter with him or you're not going to accomplish it. So in a moment, I'm going to have you stand. When you stand with me, what you're saying is this. I will go. I will go after the burning bush moment so that I can go into my community and make an impact for God. If that's who you are, then let's stand and let's pray. Father, we take these next few moments. Lord, just to stop everything that we're doing, focus our complete attention on you. God, we want to be in awe of you curious about you, fascinated with you. We want to have our intrigue completely focused on you. God, I pray that that those that hear my voice today, that if their intrigue has been directed other places, that, Lord, that will come to a screeching halt. We repent of it, let it go, and start running after you before we find ourselves in a place of spiritual death. Lord, I ask that today you would humble us. I know we don't like praying prayers like that, but, God, we need it. I needed it this last week, and it's made me a better man. We need it, God, today. Let us push down the wall of pride and arrogance, and let faith increase in our life. Have your way. Humble us. Lord, may we be intrigued with you. and May we lay our excuses down. May we go after you so that we can go into our world and make an impact for you. In Jesus' name, amen.